0: Hey everybody, this is Dan Walker. Welcome to another edition of U.S. Law Radio. When the issue of corporate compliance comes up, it's more than the government we have to concern ourselves with. Now, it's claims and lawsuits from whistleblowers. U.S. law member Glenn Amundsen is chairman of the firm Smith Amundsen on North Michigan Avenue in Chicago. He heads their litigation practice with an emphasis on corporate and commercial litigation, and he works a lot with corporate compliance officers to help them stay on the right side of the law. Glenn, you've got a great address. What are you looking at out the window right
1: now? Uh, I'm looking at a frozen Lake Michigan and Millennium Park.
0: Nice. Glenn, great to have you here on U.S. Law Radio.
1: Yes, it's good to be with you, Dan.
0: Thank you. Glenn, you've got your finger on the pulse of corporate compliance and financial issues. What's causing all the consternation lately?
1: Yeah, there's a number of things that have happened in the past few months of 2010 that are making decision makers in corporations and corporate counsel concerned about their company's compliance with the law. The landscape's becoming more complex and the government's becoming more aggressive in their enforcement efforts. So some of the key developments that have happened in the last few months include Amendment of Chapter 8 of the Federal Sentencing Guidelines that deal with how corporate enterprises are going to be treated in the criminal justice system. Also, to a certain degree, they set a standard for civil penalties that might apply to companies. The Dodd-Frank statute that was enacted in August of 2010, the so-called FinReg statute, has a number of provisions that directly affect corporate compliance officers and companies. Also, there were some associated changes in the Fraud Enforcement Recovery Act, uh, the False Claims Act, and the uh, Foreign Corrupt Practices Act. All of those statutes impact how companies do business. Some of these things also implicate the possibility of more internal whistleblower investigations and other concerns that I think our audience would be interested in.
0: Well, let's roll up our sleeves then and put a microscope on some of this stuff. Now, you mentioned in November they changed the federal sentencing guidelines for corporate offenses. What about that?
1: Well, the sentencing guidelines have been changed, and they require companies now. The chief compliance officer, if that's an attorney within the law department, as it is in most companies, must have direct reporting obligations to the governing authority of the company. It is no longer sufficient for the Chief Compliance Officer to have some chain of command or dotted line connection to various levels of management. They have to have direct reporting to the Board of Directors and to the CEO of the company. And it's important to make sure that the Chief Compliance Officer can be shown to have regular opportunity to address the Board of Directors at a regular and frequent basis. We also see changes that indicate the government's going to be looking at establishing a compliance and ethics program that has been communicated to all levels of the management, including the entire enterprise. So it's no longer satisfactory to just issue some policies and procedures and put them in a manual. I think the government is going to be looking to see that there's actual training taking place and evidence that the entire enterprise has been informed and trained on these procedures, which for some companies is a big undertaking, especially if they have operations overseas and so forth. There's also more emphasis being put on self-reporting, mitigating damages by making restitution once the company finds out of information, and the activities of the company in the first 24 or 48 hours after they find out about a violation of the law, can be very important to how the company is uh, viewed in the eyes of the government, both from a civil penalty standpoint and a criminal standpoint. So those are some of the things that are in the new sentencing guidelines. I'd certainly recommend anybody in this field take a look at the changes. They're available online for anyone to review.
0: Not exactly light evening reading. In fact, it'll keep you up at night.
1: Well, that's right, and I mean, ultimately there's no greater business imperative for inside counsel than their obligation to protect the company from threats associated with unlawful or unethical behavior. Sometimes actions that are misguided or sometimes sadly intentionally done But the corporate leadership may not even know about them, but yet subject the company to very severe fines and penalties, people going to jail, companies being disbanded, and various other things. So it's important stuff, no doubt.
0: You betcha. Let's move along now to the Dodd-Frank Financial Regulatory Act. What are those changes about?
1: Well, the major press on the Dodd-Frank had to do with regulations on banks and financial institutions, but in the some 2,000, 3,000 pages of that statute, there are some interesting provisions that would catch the attention of in-house counsel. Importantly, this statute amends the Sarbanes-Oxley Law and the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act so that internal informants or whistleblowers within the organization can receive payment of up to 10% to 30% of recoveries that are made by the government in excess of a million dollars for violation of the law. The importance of that change, Dan, is that now, instead of just having some well-intentioned people within your organization who are pointing out perhaps some violation of the law or unethical behavior, there is a financial incentive created by the statute where the so-called whistleblower or internal informant could receive between 10 and 30% of what is imposed by way of fine or penalty. This can be very lucrative, and just in the last few months of last year, there were three suits in the press where the fines totaled more than $100 million each. 10 to 30% of numbers of that sort can create quite an incentive on the part of some people inside organizations to report these things.
0: That's kind of a dark incentive, isn't
1: it? Well, it is, because it creates a tension, really. The interest of the company is to encourage people to come forth and report things as soon as they know them that might or could be violative of the law. The new statute, although I know it's well-intentioned, and I'm certain the drafters thought it would help foster communications in a sort of a twisted way, it may actually impair them, because internal hotlines and other things that companies use to help report information – may not be used by informants or internal people because they may want to go directly to the government and make these reports so that they can financially benefit from them. So there's some real tension being created inside the companies by virtue of these changes. Some of the other things that this Dodd-Frank statute also did was extend the limitations period for retaliation claims. Under the old law, if somebody was a whistleblower and claim that they were fired or demoted as a result of their actions. They had to bring their claim administratively before OSHA, and they had 90 days to bring that cause of action. Now they can do it in a common law court or federal court, and they have up to six years from the date of the alleged retaliation to bring the claim. So, again, this will broaden the risks that in-house counsel are facing, and it will extend the time for people to make claims against a company that could be very damaging. So those are some of the changes in Dodd-Frank that are causing concern for those of us who represent corporations in terms of compliance issues.
0: Now, you mentioned the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act a minute ago. Glenn, can you detail for us the changes to that and the False Claims Act?
1: Sure. Well, the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act essentially is an anti-bribery statute that virtually every country in the world has a statute that says you can't do business in our country by bribing people or taking financial steps in order to give your company a business advantage, so to speak, or a competitive advantage. Some of the changes that have occurred involve, number one, as I've already mentioned, allowing a financial stake in reporting these things, number one. Number two, creating a situation where some of the activities are more expansive than it used to be in the past. For example, some countries have amended their statutes to make them even broader than the U.S. statute. Things like the U.K. has just enacted a statute, for example, that takes some of the activities that were thought to be routine governmental actions like paying for permits and other things, and has expanded the scope of what could be considered, quote, bribery, close quote, under the statute. So one of the things people in our audience who have responsibility for foreign corrupt practices issues, they would be advised to review their corporate policies for compliance with both the new U.S. statute as well as some of the statutes that have been expanded upon in other countries, including the U.K., China, Brazil a number of other ones who have recently made changes.
0: Well, Glenn, we'll ask you to pull out your crystal ball and help us predict some of the future trends that might affect us from a corporate compliance standpoint.
1: Well, when I talk with my clients in the corporate compliance world, one of the questions we always debate, both internally and outside counsel, is, so what are all these changes, Uh, where are they leading us, and what can we expect to see in the coming months as these things kind of shake out Among the things that we anticipate is, first of all, an increase in internal investigations and whistleblower activity. The financial incentives that I spoke about earlier are certainly going to come to the attention of people in the press and attorneys that advise people, and I think you're going to see more issues coming about. I think politically, most observers think that both sides of the aisle are probably more incentivized to show that they're tough when it comes to corporate activities and I think you're going to see an increased enforcement environment and in fact Department of Justice budgets and other things that are on the table in Congress now are showing a growth in the number of attorneys and investigators being hired to pursue these kinds of claims and to investigate corporate activity. Certainly there's going to be a heightened scrutiny of corporate activity and more aggressive enforcement coming forward I think you see a lot more cross-disciplinary investigations. In the past, it might be the Department of Justice looking into things. I think you're going to see more state and local authorities, attorney generals, corporate counsel for municipalities, and others working with the federal authorities to compare information about corporate activity dealing with governmental activities. Another thing is a growth in the what we call tam lawsuits, which are suits filed by private individuals allegedly on behalf of the government seeking to recover for what they believe are fraudulent activities by corporate entities that affect taxpayers. So in some instances, que statutes permit private individuals to in effect seek recovery for the government or on behalf of the government. There are certain lawyers who specialize in that work and I think that activity is going to increase. So those are some of the uh, things we see, most notably uh, kind of as an ending point for this aspect of our talk is overall I think there's going to be much higher expectations of the ethical gatekeeper within corporations. So the job of chief compliance officers is becoming both more complex and the standards uh, they are raising the bar and asking people to do more. So it's important to take a look at these things and revisit what we're doing In each company to make sure that the company is taking the steps needed to protect itself when unfortunate things can sometimes happen.
0: The squeeze is on, and it's not like the good old days now, is it, Glenn?
1: Well, I would say that people in these roles are rightly concerned about how the increased scrutiny is going to play out and what that might mean. And to your point, Dan, I think people realize that, if anything, they have to redouble their efforts and work harder to make sure that the word gets out that enterprises are committed to enforcing the law and acting ethically in all of their business dealings, both here domestically and across the world. And it's not an easy job, but it's been made tougher, I think, in the last few months.
0: Well, we're glad you're staying on top of it, and, of course, grateful you could spend a few minutes bringing us up to date. Glenn Amundsen, thanks so much for joining us here on U.S. Law Radio.
1: It's been my pleasure, Dan. Thank you, and Happy New Year to you and everyone listening. Well, that
0: is it, folks. We're out of time. U.S. Law Radio is produced by Roger Yaffe. Send your comments and show ideas his way, because he loves to hear from you. This edition of U.S. Law Radio has been brought to you by SEA Limited, forensic engineering and origin cause experts working nationwide since 1970, and by Ringler Associates. Since 1975, Ringler Associates has provided injured parties and their attorneys with the finest structured settlement services. This is Dan Walker. Thanks for listening in. We'll see you again next time for another fresh edition of U.S. Law Radio.